0: Welcome to Lift, a parenting podcast where we ask the questions about family and faith. Parenting takes a lot of heavy lifting, both in physical, emotional, and spiritual ways. Let's face it, raising a family is hard work. Some of us are doing it as a single parent, some of us are working with a spouse, but all of us have questions every day Are we screwing up our kids, our marriage, our relationships? This podcast asks the questions that can guide each of us to finding a rhythm and creating a space for God in our home. Today, we have asked Professor Jeff Willey to come in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, thank
1: you, Reverend Kim, for inviting me to be part of this. My family is very dear to my heart. I've been married next March. It'll be 43 years, so family is very dear to my heart. Well, obviously, I think I may I mention to you I'm from Carthage, Texas, Panola County, so where I was born and raised in the area in the woods there. I left there after high school. Uh, I moved to Houston, and in 1977, I decided to raise my right hand and enlist into the Air Force. So I spent almost 26 years in the Air Force. but. I was a, But I was a very young father at 19 years of age. I was married with child. Wow. And so you could imagine. But I married my high school sweetheart. It, been <laughs> We've been together a long time. We've been together a long time. 43 years of marriage as of March. But I was 15 when we started dating. So at 19, a that's, a, that's a lot of trend, lot Lots of change. Yeah. And we came from different sides of the track, as you want to say, different worlds. Mm -hmm. My world was extremely, uh, as we say, poverty-stricken compared to American standards. But obviously, I've traveled the world, and I realized that I was very well off, very well off. But obviously, as a child, you don't know that. You just know your conditions compared to her world is slightly different. So I married up.
0: There you go. I
1: married up. And she's a year older, so I'm still wet behind the ears. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do for a living? I, well, how do I describe that how do I describe what I do for a living it's just I take care of people I serve people that's my focus my motto right now is serving and adding value to people people are my business I am a obviously a college professor I'm a international speaker we do mission trips I've co-pastored a church a Air Force junior ROTC instructor um, leadership coach, personal coach, leadership development coach. Those are the type of things I do. Whatever I can do to serve and add value to people's lives uh, internationally as well as locally and as well as around this country. But that's my focus. That's my passion. That's my purpose right now is to be able to do that. And that's what I focus on consistently. That wakes me up in the morning times and that keeps me up late at night because I'm always working on the next project to be to add value to people's lives.
0: Well, it already added value to mine. Somebody forward me an article that you wrote um, in 2018 is the date that I have from it and it talks about life and death are in your words um, can you give us a summary of that article? And I'll link it to the page if people want to see it. But okay. why do you think words are so important?
1: Extremely important. And we know that life and death is in the tongue and uh, in regards of what you say. I, I like to share this story to, to emphasize that point, the impact of life and death. And I can give you the scriptures to support that as well. And, of course, folks can go to and look at the scriptures to see how life and death is in the tongues but before those words are ever manifested they are thoughts there are some type of beliefs that comes out of that because we are made by our thoughts and our thoughts e- eventually become our reality if we don't shift our thinking so and so what those words are definitely a manifestation of what's really inside of you or the person that's speaking those words and how they feel ab- primarily about themselves and they project they project their inadequacies on others through the words and those words, especially when you're dealing with children. The story that sticks out with me significantly that shifted that for me happened to me primarily in two grades. And I am 62 years old, I'll be 63 this, this year, but the impact of words is very, very powerful because they will stick like glue and they, and they will stick into your brains and they become your focus and your vision if those if that's not a shift. Obviously it became a shift in my life, but let me share the story. In the seventh grade was the first year of integration for Carthage Independent School District, 1970-71 school year. The whites and blacks started going to school together, and I'm in a teacher's class. This is my first time being in a class with uh, definitely different race students because we went to segregated schools up until then. And my first teacher was a white teacher, white female, and my name is Jeffrey Willie. But that could be Willie Jeffrey very easy based on where you are in the country. And so asking a young person to stand up and introduce himself, and I introduced myself as Jeffrey Willie, and the response from that teacher was very, very demeaning. Boy, don't you know your name. It didn't make me feel very well. So as a seventh grader, you feel very, very small, and in front of your peers. Um, but I was raised by a father to understand that and be able to deal with that in a very, very proactive way instead of a reactive way. I obviously, take my seat. But that was not the one that I want to share, and that was not in the article. The one that's in the article happened in the eighth grade. In the eighth grade, as a 13-year-old or 14-year-old, whatever my age was at that time, I'm in a class with obviously mixed students, and but there's five us African-American boys in the back of the room, and we are being African-American, we are being boys, we're not paying attention, and we in the room, with a, with it's a math class, an 8th grade math class. During that time, you only need two tracks of math to graduate school, Algebra and Geometry, so this advanced students, of course, was taking more high level of math, so we're playing and the math teacher looked at us young men and said you boys are stupid you're never going to mount anything so do not take math or algebra in the ninth grade the environment that i was raised in that era teachers had a lot of credibility and a lot of respect, so whatever teachers stated and said for us students to do, they sh- we shared that with our parents, and their parents would say, what did the teacher say? Right. That's what you do. That was the primary, and that doesn't exist today, of course, obviously, as a level of accountability, but back in the early 70s, that was the message. Teachers had a significant amount of credibility. That word impacted me, so in the ninth grade, I did not take mm-hmm. college, uh, high school algebra. I took algebra in the 10th grade. That's the first year I was supposed to that level of. But I was not with the other core students, other young men. And I'm doing well. Asking myself, why did I take this in the 9th grade? But I was told not to, so you responded to that. Based on our economic situation in the 11th and 12th grade, I worked part-time and also went to school half a day because of the way, way we could structure our class schedule. So in the 12th grade, I took geometry. I didn't take any math in the 11th grade, so I skipped a year of that building block of math. And so the 12th grade, I took geometry. After geometry, I struggled with it because I've lost a year of continual. And it's geometry. And it's geometry. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's geometry. Absolutely. But fast forward, many years after marriage, raising two daughters in the military, and now... Here I am, uh, Master Sergeant in the United States Air Force, or first sergeant, encouraging lots of other men and women to pursue their education. But my wife and I worked out a educational plan, and she decided to go back to school and finish her degree. And once she finished her master's degree, and based on our family situation, then I would enroll in school because we can't be in school at the same time trying to raise two daughters and also working full-time jobs. I had enough credits To complete three associates' degrees, I needed one class to complete my three associates' degrees. Take a guess what that class was. You're gonna go with geometry? I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with college algebra. I'm gonna go with college algebra. And so I enrolled in college algebra because I needed that class to finish those associates' degrees. And as soon as I got in the class and start working some of those algebraic equations, that message came back from the eighth grade, yes, it, did. it did. It resurfaced and I had to face it head on. So I struggled. I dropped out of the class and I enrolled again because I wanted to finish this. I want to finish what I started. I dropped out again enrolled a third time. And I'm sharing this story with some of my college students and they said, okay, Professor Jeff, third time was the charm. I said, no, I dropped out again. I did take then I started taking some tutoring, some mentoring, but that was the message. It was not about me dropping out. It was not about the difficult of math. it was about me humbling myself, realizing that I had someone in my house that was very gifted in math, which is a daughter and I needed to humble myself and ask so the male ego was not asking for help, and once I asked for help from a person that I should be helping, right. and that's when the paradigm shift, that's when the door opened, that's when the mind opened, God, I can't do this. And God said, no, you can't do this, but with me, you can do all things, but you need to humble yourself, and I've gifted you with the person that can help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and So I asked my daughter. She became my math tutor. How special. How very special. And so after I finished that algebra class and then the rest is history because as we say the proverbial, the monkey is now off your back. But I use it as a catalyst for parents, self-fulfilling prophecy. Speak it, speak it. Whatever you speak, it will eventually, whatever seeds you plant, it will eventually surface.
0: It does. It does. It does
1: surface.
0: um, I've told you this, but I was a school teacher for many years before I was um, a preacher and um I I've had students come back who are now adults which is fine. Aging is a good thing. Right. Um but students come back who are now adults who tell me, "Do you remember this day when you said this or you did this?" Mm-hmm. And I have no memory of it. But it impacted them in deep and profound ways cuz I taught them when they were 6 and they're no longer 6. They're married with children. Mm-hmm. And they remember that, day. I remember that day. And I'm so glad it was positive.
1: Absolutely. And it's significant that it is positive because right now, I, when I'm talking to youth, when I'm talking to parents, when I'm doing speaking engagements, and I have a, um, a speech that I use, it's called, uh, we, it's called Blood Type. Okay. The blood type is, of course, I'll ask my audience to give me the primary blood types, and they would guess at it, some will get it right. And of course, if they get all eight correct, it's primary eight. And I would give them a little token, just kind of engage the audience. And I'm talking to students, and I'm also talking to adults. And I'm also talking to parents about blood type. And at the end of that, once we have guessed all the blood types and I've given out a couple of door prizes just to get them engaged. And that's it. now, today, today, and for the rest of our lives, we're all gonna have the same blood type. No more other blood types. We're all gonna leave this room. And if you need to know what this blood type is, come up and touch me, and then as soon as you touch me, it's gonna shoot into you. And can anyone take a guess what blood type I'm referring to? You know, they they multiple responses and some would say, but the blood type I'm referring to is B positive. <laughs> And you stretch it out, be positive. That's what I want us to be. In every aspect, in every situation, you get to choose your response. And so now you get a chance to choose your response. The impact on being positive, you just reduce the level of stress in your life and the level of stress and the impact of people around you as well by being positive. You live longer and you're happier by being positive.
0: Yeah, perspective is... Can change the world. It can change the world. So tell me, um, in your article, you talk a lot about expectations, word choice, and behavior. Yes. Um, why is that something that you are so passionate about?
1: This is a person and a quote I use quite a bit, and the author is unknown. I can't even, I even did my homework try to find his author. I even did a little placard and put it on the wall for my students and say, low expectations, from a teacher, will cause a child to fail a test. Low expectations from a parent will crush their soul. Because you're intimately connected to that person, you are the center of the world as a parent, and what you say matters, whether it be through your actions. And primarily, your action speaks volumes. And the thing is, the way you model in front of your children, you model in expectations. The way you conduct your life, you model in expectations. The way you tackle situations and stick with them or quit, you're modeling expectations. And you send in those messages to your offsprings and the people in your center of influence and then when you're speaking to your children, no matter what they're saying, if they say they want to be a doctor lawyer because as a small child, you tend to use those, those type of professions. I want to be a fireman, police officer, whatever that is. Uh, as a parent, you need to make sure that you tap into that and build on that and not diminish that dream and not to rob that child of that dream. Son and daughter, you want to be a police officer. Let's go do some homework and research and find out exactly what you need to do. Let's take you to a police station. Let's take you to a fire station. Let's take you to an airport. Let's take you to a medical room. Let's take you to an engineer's office. Let's take you to a, a, to, a to a courtroom. Whatever it is that you want to be, I want to expose you to that and I want to allow you to have choices of what you desire to do. My job is as a parent is facilitate, help you facilitate your dreams, not to rob you of your dreams.
0: I like that. So as a parent, so I have teenage boys. I have a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old. Days can be interesting with the dynamic of teenagers in my home. I work hard to make sure my words and my expectations and my behaviors are appropriate and positive. But I have dropped the ball sometimes. Absolutely, we all have. So, what do we do when we drop the ball?
1: You apologize. You come. You actually you own it, because that's modeling, and because you let them know. Guess what? We are human beings, and we're not perfect. We're not Jesus. We are going to drop the ball, but own it, and that teaches humility, uh, teaches transparency and it teaches them honesty.
0: Yeah. So our audience is a spectrum of parents. Um, can you still own it when they're three?
1: Yes, absolutely. You can own it when they're less than three. They know and they hear and they sense. They own it. Your tone is very, very important. It's very, very significant that you manage that tone because that tone speaks volume. It's not most of the time what you say. It's most of the time of how you say it.
0: You just flashed into my memory. Um, we had a baby, infant baby, in our house for the first time, and my mother in law had come to stay with us to help us out. And I was rocking him to bed, and he was screaming and crying and fussing, and so I was fully anxious in that moment. Right, new mom, my mother in law's in town. I want to, and she said, "Let me take him from you." And she took him. She rocked him. He fell asleep in his arms. And it took me—I actually think I went then into my bed and cried myself to sleep. But then I recognized what happened in that moment is she wasn't anxious. She was calm. She was just there to help. And she took him, and he fell asleep because my—I was not a calm person to be around. You
1: was wired up, Mm -hmm. and that infant felt that, and he sensed that. Exactly. And so your level of anxiety created anxiety— and in that input mm-hmm. as well.
0: So being calm, being intentional, being purposeful, always important.
1: I, I brag about, not brag about, but I watch my, I have a five-year-old grandson. And I have, a, of course, my daughter and my son-in-law. And they're just wonderful parents. Of course, you have to say that. Of course. <laughs> but I watch the tone when my grandson is doing some things inappropriately. I'll watch the tone, I'll listen to the tone. And they'll say, Nathan, can you what are your decisions? Are you going to make a different choice? And they allow him to sit and ponder about that. Can you make a different choice? What are your options here? And so what they're doing with that, they're teaching them critical thinking skills as well.
0: Absolutely.
1: And decision making and options. And you do that very early. You don't wait until they're 14 to do that. You you start that when they start moving around. And it's very, very early. And I watch my son, son-in-law and daughter, do that with my grandson. And by them doing that, when he's with Grandma and Pawpaw, he does the exact same thing. He stays. We keep him on that same structure schedule. And he's very conditioned where he responds and is all about the tone because human nature If you push, I push back. Right. That's who we are. Right. And if a person is being pushed and then you're not pushing back, then you really... You look at a person that's very very weak, and what what is your true worth? Because you want that, you want to see that, because you want to teach a young man and a young woman to be able to stand up for themselves,
0: and think and, for themselves, and think for
1: themselves as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And so you you so you have to watch that tone and teach them those critical thinking skills and how to process information, and how to make those choices. Because if they see you calm in situations, you are modeling calm behavior for them. Also
0: Yeah. We had a our last podcast speaker talked about discipline and how it's a teachable moment and not a punishable moment. And it was, you know, it was impactful for me to listen to and remind myself, especially as teenagers mm-hmm. come. But um one of the things that we talked about was giving yourself permission to pause. Because mm-hmm. we are human, right? And you get angry. At your children. Yes, you do. Because you love them more Mm -hmm. than anything else in the world. So that love is greater, but that also can mean that that anger and disappointment can be greater. Mm -hmm. But if you pause and you breathe and you recognize where you're at, it's usually not that big of a deal.
1: It's not that big of a deal. And that is absolutely right. And I see my son-in-law and daughter just take those pauses with Nathan. And when Nathan is at my home and he does that, we have him on a very very rigid bedtime schedule, and guess what? When he's with Paul Paul, he'll say Paul Paul, it's time for me to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because Mom and Dad has him on that schedule, and he's accustomed to that, and he does it.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's no fighting that.
1: There's no no no. And you would expect that, but no, you don't get that. And then Mom, and and my daughter and son-in-law know that Paul Paul grandparents. Uh, going to keep him on the same schedule, not be that typical grandparent.
0: (laughs) That's a gift because we uh, say that we, not anymore, but we would have to take them off of the grandparents for a little bit. So, how can parents incorporate expectations and words and just calmness into the daily lives that we have today that are insanely hectic?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I think from the We have high expectations. We live in a community and um, a metroplex that is full of high achievers. And so how can we build this in for early childhood parents, for preschool? How do we build this into our daily life?
1: Let me try to reframe your question, make sure I'm understanding your question. When you say high expectations, um, ask a lot of questions. Ask. And sometimes as adults, we want to tell our children what to think sometimes we even tell them what to do and what job to do and but if you set those when I say high expectations, you talk about life very positively about things around them, what they're doing, limited access to a certain level of media that distract them from what their true purpose is, have to limit that, make sure that they're not getting those negative inputs and the destructive inputs. And if they do get that, you have to be able to help them process that in a positive way. And uh, and, and so that's what I do with students and adults as well because sometimes we have adults birthday-wise that are still childlike behavior and so how do you process information how do you because you're gonna how do you filter that information because you're gonna get a lot of information but how do you filter the things you need in a positive positive way and you set high expectations you 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 set it from the day one clean your whatever those chores are around the house you set those high expectations and when they and say you are going to be you can be you can be you can be, you can be, you will be, all those different to-do's. We have to say more do and try to remedy less don'ts because a lot of times we get trapped in don'ts. And, and you think about how many times a young person hears the word don't, mm-hmm. compare it to do, and you want them to be more proactive and do because if they'll dealing with the dos in their lives, you don't have to worry about the don'ts that may pop up because they're being proactive on the dos and the permissions and the opportunities and the risks that you expose them to because they know how to respond to those risks and how to deal with those risks because of all the dos, and dos are positive. When you got all the positives, there will be negatives that pop up, but guess what? They're so busy on the dos and they know how to deal with them.
0: And they can solve it for themselves. They can
1: solve them for themselves, do's versus don'ts.
0: Yeah, I had a parent tell me they have a child that can be anxious and nervous and doesn't want to disappoint and realize they missed a tutoring session at school. And the mom was proud of herself because she, instead of telling him how to fix that situation, paused and said, what do you need to do about it? And she saw a difference in him. Because he sat there, he thought about it, he gave an explanation, Mm -hmm. and the mom said, I think that's a good plan. And he got out of the car with his, you know, shoulders back and his head high Mm -hmm. instead of humped over, worried and anxious. Where if she would have told him, you should go do this. He would have
1: resisted.
0: Exactly. He would have resisted. And as a parent, sometimes it feels easier just to tell, tell, right? Kind of like when we had toddlers... It felt a lot easier to put the socks and shoes on their feet. For them. Uh-huh. Instead of twenty minutes of letting them do it themselves. But in the long run, mm-hmm. it's worth it.
1: You look at the domino effect of that by you putting the socks on and the shoes on, because it's easier for you to do so. Now you have set the expectations for them to do other for you for for the parent to do all the things. Well, my mom is going to do this for me. My dad is going to. My parents, primarily, my parents, will do this for me. I don't worry about that. I see young men, a lot of teenagers in their sixteen and seventeen, have never purchased their own clothes. Don't even know what size clothes they wear. Wow. I don't uh, I don't know what size shoe. I have watched some teenagers that can't even tie. That shoe.
0: I've seen that too. There's so many shoes these days that don't have laces. They don't have laces, and they just never learned.
1: Never learned. And the ones that has laces, they just don't tie them because they don't know how. And that's not their fault. Mm-hmm. This environment that they're in. And so, I'm encouraging parents to just allow your children, allow your offspring, to so just let them do. Let them take risk. If you see them jumping on the bed. And they will. Right. Okay, how are we gonna do this safely? Or are we gonna go to a trampoline park so they can jump mm-hmm. because they're expressing some high energy. Right. And so, so are you gonna are you gonna submerge, squelch that high energy? Because that's a God-given that the energy is for a reason. And so, don't squeeze it out of them. Because if you tell them don't, eventually you're gonna squeeze the gifts out of them. And you don't do that. My youngest daughter is an attorney. And growing up, very talkative, gift of gab. Somehow she got that from I wonder where. Else. I wonder where she got that from. I have no idea. But I thank God the opportunity to understand that, that my wife and I didn't suppress that. Because the, th- the things that we wanted to do, please just stop. That's the first thing we wanna do, but we have to channel that mm-hmm. and use the wisdom with that this time, this time. Because if we to suppress that, do you think that she could be in the courtroom as an attorney right now? No, sir. Because attorneys have to be able to do what? They have to talk. They have to learn to debate and opposite obsess- and defend themselves and defend their clients. And so that was a gift that God has given her. And this, as a parent, we, don't need to, we need to develop that gift and channel that energy. And so we have to be very careful when we see our sons and daughters doing certain things. Okay. That is not of the enemy. That is of, everything is of God. It's good. And it's good based on your perception and based on your paradigm. So I see it as good. How do I channel that? When I see young men and women doing certain things, it's not it's not negative, but it's I wouldn't want them to do it because of my own insecurities. Right. But how do we channel that in a positive way? How do we help them make better choices in a positive way? How do we use our tone to help them make better choices in a positive way? That's the main thing. You want them to be young adults and, and
0: absolutely and, successful, and successful adult. adults. Yes, I say right now my job is to keep you safe. And get you ready. Get you ready. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. I love them, but we have six years left with children in our house. And some days we're counting down those six counting years. Down those <laughs> six years, absolutely. I know I'm gonna mourn them too, but. but
1: I, I, I I say that as well as a, as a parent, you, oh, you, you have those, but as soon as they're gone, yeah. oh my goodness, it's tough. So, my 16
0: year old just got a job. It's something we require in our house. If you're gonna have a car, you're gonna help pay for it. Right. And my husband and I, even though that's a requirement, we kind of mourned it the other day because we realized he's, you know, he's got a lot going on. We're not going to see him anymore. He's going to be passing in the night. But and I was friends right, things and, right, I, it'll prepare us for when he leaves. It, it's, complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. Well, we um, end each podcast with this question: If you could pick child, teen, and adult, and tell them one thing about this subject. So you have to pick an age. So if you want to talk to a child, a teen, or adult, and you want to just tell them one thing that they need to know.
1: I want to talk to the parents. All right. Uh, because the parents, are, they are creating the environment. Yes. Um, the, the child don't have any language. Mm-hmm. They don't create language. Uh, they repeat what they hear. They repeat what they see. So I'm talking to the parents, model the things that you want. Let me say it this way. Self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's usually in a story. I'm a pretty good producer. I like, like storyteller. Yeah. But I say it this way. And I take it negatively and then I turn it to positive Positively. If you are speaking negatives into your child's life, and I've heard some parents say, you're never going to amount to anything. You're just like your father. You never. If you don't change your behavior, you're going to end up in jail. All those different aspects. You're speaking that into your child's spirit. Mm-hmm. And then now, your son or daughter start having some behavior issues in school, and they end up in school suspension, suspended, and eventually, I say, they become a. In juvenile detention mm-hmm. mom, dad you spoke that into your son spirit and psychic self-fulfilling prophecy if you are speaking that you're sharing with them the expectations that you have for their lives and so when they reach those expectations, it's not a moment to be sad, you should be celebrating because that's what you spoke into their lives, so why aren't you throwing a party when you said? that type of expectations for your child's life. Now, the opposite of that, of course, you're awesome, you're handsome, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous, you're wonderful, you're going to do great things in this world. Uh, The world is your oyster. You can do anything you set your mind to, whatever you desire to do. I am your support system. And you have a reason to celebrate because that's what they're going to do. They're going to do based on your expectations, even though they might not choose a certain profession based on your expectations, but the type of citizen they're going to become and the type of husband or wife or employee or employer they're going to become based on the environment that you establish in that home.
0: I don't disagree with you. I am going to ask you a question, though. The child that I've spoken positively into for all Mm -hmm. these years Mm -hmm. comes home with... Marijuana mm-hmm. in their backpack. Mm-hmm. I can't tell them I'm proud of them in that moment. No, no, you don't. So, how mm-hmm. do I respond?
1: You respond like you should. Are you responding very calmly? Okay, what is all those different things you do? Where, where is it coming from? How did you obtain it? Who are you associating with? Um, uh, this is probably not yours because I know I've been haven't exposed to you. you. Have not seen your mom and dad using marijuana, all those aspects of that. So where is this coming from? You have to do that interrogation aspect of that, but still the interrogation is going to become based on a relationship with mom and dad because we've had dialogue up to now about everything we've been open about everything we've been revealing about everything we've been transparent about everything but when we had a when we started having that tug of war and and it's not the child is going to push back it's in their nature that's god has put that in all of us you push back as a parent as a child it's how you respond to that push back because if you push back and they're pushing, it's—I think we call it butting heads. <laughs>
0: There's it, no, winners
1: no winners in that, yeah. and so you got to be able to be an—you got to be an advocate of better choices for
0: that. All right. So again, I'm not disagreeing with you. I love this. My three-year-old is getting ready, and I give them expectations, and they, instead of doing what they're going to do. They bite their sister. They draw on the wall. They do the three-year-old things that they do. I can't tell them that that's amazing. How do I deal with that? Well,
1: what are you going to give them to draw on and draw with? Because as a three-year-old, you know, you're going to have sharks all over your house. You, you, that's what you're gonna to have toys all over your house, and then you got to help them pick those. In other words, work as a team. Next time you want to draw on the wall, let's draw on the wall together. Let's give you another wall to draw. Let's give you this. We're gonna set this wall aside, and that's gonna be your wall, and you can draw on that wall as much as you like. Cause eventually you're gonna be a Picasso. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, you're gonna eventually gonna be a Picasso. To me, is um, I guess in my stage in my life, and, and I'm looking back. Especially now, I'm finding a way to shift the paradigm and saying, it is good. It's a matter of perspective. It is good. If my son is taking out the garbage and the trash is falling out of the garbage while he is taking it out,
0: I can see it in my head.
1: he's still taking out the garbage. What are the process? How do you want to? Keep, how can you keep this garbage inside the garbage bag? Because there's probably some wet containers inside the garbage bag, causing the garbage bag to open up, and he is not watching it. He's just dragging it, right. Right. and then sometimes we respond inappropriately because we see moisture on the floor, or we see cans in the driveway, but mom, I'm taking out the garbage. Right. That's the typical response, and so how? Now, the focus is to get all the garbage into the garbage can. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, but it's working as a team. It's working as a team. It's working as a team. Well, I hope that this podcast today can just help parents remind themselves that speaking into their kids' lives in a positive, calm way can help establish true joy.